Alright, what's going on everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks as always for joining me here on another preview episode. We are getting you all ready for the Bills to take on the first of three straight AFC East opponents. This one against the last placed Patriots, who are still have a winning record at 6-5. and five, But the Patriots will be hosting the Bills on Thursday night. The Bills' second straight Thursday night showdown. This is their third straight, to a certain degree, road game because they had to travel to Detroit uh, for their what should have been their home game due to a snowstorm. So I'm sure the Bills will be uh, very much eager to get to the uh, other side of, of this matchup because after the Thursday game, they've got uh, a full weekend to kind of rest. They get a week and a half ahead of their game against the Jets, which is a home game. And then it's the first of two home games where they're taking on the Jets and then the Dolphins. So a lot for them to look forward to, but certainly they know the task at hand is a big one because this Patriots team, even though they are in last place in the division, they still have a lot going on for them. And uh, and later on in the episode, we'll actually get a good in-depth look at what the Patriots have kind of done this year, uh, how they have gotten themselves to this point, because for a time, it looked like the season was kind of going to get away from them in a big way, where they were looking like a top 10 in the draft pick sort of team. But they have since rescued that with the help of their defense and their offense kind of uh, kicking into gear a little bit more recently. Uh, But we're going to talk about that quite a bit with our Patriots beat writer, Chad Graff, who uh, was nice enough to join the program. So we'll we'll get to uh, hear from Chad and uh, be able to hear about what this Patriots season has looked like and where their strengths and deficiencies may lie. But the Bills are going through this build-up to the game with a full week, mind you. It's not a normal Thursday game where they have a shortened week and they have to uh, have this condensed schedule to get ready. They've had a full week, the rare Thursday-to-Thursday game. And... They practice on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday to get themselves in a spot where they feel good about um, about this upcoming game and the last of their road games up until the Christmas weekend when they take on the Bears. But when you look at what they're going through this, this week, the biggest topic of conversation has been all to do with Von Miller and his injury. It's kind of subsided in the last couple of days just because there hasn't been really any new information, but that's also because the Bills are basically in wait-and-see mode by a lot of different reports. The The whole notion around it is that multiple reports are saying they're kind of waiting for it to calm down, the knee injury, that is, and then trying to f- determine where to go from there with the injury and how exactly, uh, how much time that Miller might have to miss. The one thing we do know is he is not playing against the Patriots and that alters things significantly for how they try to do things. So it's it's kind of wild to think about how much of an impact one player can have on the entire structure of the defense, but it is absolutely apparent that Von Miller has meant so much to this team that the Bills in that second half against the Lions basically uprooted all of their principles from the previous 10 games. 
it was wild going back and not only watching the film, but looking at some of the splits and, and tracking it myself. They're zone to man splits, their blitz percentages. Like it, it's kind of wild to think how much he impacted things for them. I mean, heading into the game, the Bills had one of the lowest blitz rates through the first 10 games of any team in the league. They were around 15% heading in. And that's a that that just goes to show how much they trusted their front four and specifically how much they trusted Von Miller to get there because his pressure rate was one of the the best in the league from from the edge rusher, rusher position. The exact blitz rate they had was 15.4%, which allowed the back seven to kind of drop into coverage and and make up for some of the absences that they've had back there, whether it be Tredavious White, Tremaine Edmonds, Matt Milano, uh, Micah Hyde since the early portions of the season, Jordan Poyer for a handful of games. And it's allowed the Bills to basically sit in zone for much of the game. And through those first 10 games, they were playing zone at a 70.6% clip. So that's that's more than a trend. That's an identity where they are zone-specific, they don't blitz, they rush with their front four. But without Von Miller, and it's a little different because this game, it's looking like Greg Rousseau and A.J. Epinesa are progressing to the point where at least one of them should be able to play against the Patriots this week, if not both. We'll see. I mean, both practiced in full on, on Monday. Uh, on the official injury report, AJ Epinesa was said to sit out on Sunday, but after practice, um, you know, during the media viewing portion, he was working off to the side. But after practice, I saw him in his practice jersey and in his football pants and in his cleats. So I think he probably got in some work during practice, if if I had to guess. So those are promising signs from a Bills perspective about being able to get both of those guys back because in the second half against the Lions or really the whole game against the Lions the Bills did not get a single pressure off the edge from any other defensive end not named Von Miller between Shaq Lawson Boogie Basham and practice squad call up Mike Love they combined for zero pressures on a total of 62 pass rushing snaps which I mean, you don't really have to look too much further into that. It, it, they were washed out. And Lawson was was good against the run. Basham was meh. He just played a bunch of snaps. They, they trusted him to do so. Uh, Mike Love, they, they couldn't really trust him too much, even in the second half when Von Miller went down. So they had to alter their identity a bit. Because when you looked at some of the splits once things change without Von Miller in the second half, Leslie Frazier, the Bills defensive coordinator, kind of went into the same mode that we saw in spots last season, only it was more pronounced because this time around, there was no Jerry Hughes to rely on. They had quite literally, you see it on the screen, zero pass rushing prowess from the edges. So they had to institute some pressure on on Jared Goff from somewhere. So they blitzed the hell out of the Lions in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter. But in the second half, their overall blitz percentage, and mind you, for the year, 
they were at 15.4%. So keep that in mind when I'm reading these off. In the second half, the Bills blitzed at a 57.9% rate of of their uh, of dropbacks. That is wild. That is going from 15 point, 15% to 58%. That is a huge jump. And not a coincidence, because they were blitzing so much more, their man coverage basically doubled from their uh, from their usual rate of what we've seen from them. Over the first 10 games, they only played man coverage on 24.3% of, of snaps. In the second half against the Lions, they used it on 50% of their dropback snaps. Zone went from 70.6% in the first 10 games to 40% in the second half against the Lions. So you can see here, there is a, a major shift in philosophy with what happened. And it was even more pronounced in, in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, the Bills blitzed on 72.7% of the Lions dropbacks. They played man coverage over half the time, 52.9%, and they played zone 30%. Wild. Absolutely wild stuff at how much Von Miller shifts things. But it has a bigger trickle-down effect than just what they're doing at the line of scrimmage. I mean, if you go and look at some of the, the pressure stats this year, Matt Milano has been one of the absolute best at applying pressure when he has gotten a pass rushing snap. His pressure percentage right now, let me let me bring it up because I, I had it handy before uh, I, I speak with Chad. But the overall pressure percentages, because I was looking up Matt Judon and, and what, what he has done this year. Matt Milano, when... You look at, in comparison to the rest of the, the players in the league, Matt Milano has a pressure percentage of, hang on, it's loading. This is incredible, incredible stuff. <laughs> uh, around 42%, because it's not being cooperative at the moment. 42% um, pressure rate, and that is a ridiculous figure. He's third amongst defenders in the league this season. I mean, just watching him do, have as much success as he has throughout the entirety of, of the season, it makes you think that they're going to utilize that more and more moving forward, especially considering how much they are going to miss Von Miller this season uh, for as long as he is out. You know, things could change once Greg Rousseau and the uh once Greg Rousseau and AJ Epinesa get back in the lineup, but it's not as though those two guys are the closer, hell raising pass rusher types. He, they I mean, Epinesa has been kind of hit or miss as a pass rusher. He's a better all around player than than like a defined great pass rusher. And I feel like the same is said for Greg Rousseau because he kind of cleans things up. And once someone else wins, and it hasn't always been the case, he's had some some good reps himself. But 
for the most part, a lot of his successes have been where he's able to keep the, the offensive lineman off his pads and then disengage and then collapse on, on the quarterback when there's some other hectic things happening to the opposition um, through, to the quarterback in the game. So they're going to need one of those two guys to step up or they're going to need to uh, to overcompensate with a higher blitz percentage. And that would, in turn, mean that the Bills would have to blitz more and play more man coverage, which is not exactly how they envisioned this thing. They are... Through and through, for the most part, a zone-based team, that's how they they scout their players for the most part. They did dabble uh, with their first-round pick in a, in a cornerback in Kyir Elam that can play a bit more man-to-man coverage than what they had had previously, but even still, they lean heavy zone. And by the way, I, I have the exact stats now that uh, my computers stopped being wonky. Matt Milano on... 28 pass rushing opportunities has supplied pressure on 12 of them. 43% of his blitzes have been successful. And that is an incredibly high rate, especially for how often he's done it so far. But I digress. So the Miller injury influences what they do on the back end and in coverage. And this is this puts the cornerback position very much on the radar. Dane Jackson, over the past two and a half games, has struggled significantly. There's no real way of getting around it. I mean, he was an excellent early season, summer to early season story, had a great game, really fit into that zone defense, was uh, was really on top of things, supplying some good tackling, some good uh, run defending as well. He helped get them through, is what he did. But the last two and a half games, as the pressure has kind of mounted on him to play one-on-one coverage, it has not gone well. He is getting beat in a couple of different areas that is borderline untenable when you consider how they might have to play moving forward. The Bills, when you watch them on defense and they're in man coverage, two things stand out with Dane over the last two and a half games. First is something that that everyone sees uh, on broadcast, which is the end of the play and the catch opportunities that are successful with him in coverage right right there. He could even be close to the pass and the receiver is winning the ball more often than not. And... That's not a recipe for success, especially when you are possibly needing to play man-to-man coverage more because you are trying to blitz the quarterback more. Now, if the quarterback isn't savvy and you get you get to them and it makes them kind of uh, squirm a little bit, then that creates less of a focal point on, on Dane Jackson at, at the catch point. But even still... That's where the other part of his struggles the last two and a half games have really stood out and where it could uh, 
impact what the Bills are trying to do from applying pressure with more people. And that's at the line of scrimmage. He has been hesitant against the wide receiver release. He is a bit slow to react, quarter to half a second slow to react. And it's allowed some instant wins and to gain a half a yard to a yard of separation right from the jump. And when you have some things you have to overcome in terms of Dane Jackson, whether it be speed, length, and and size, overall size, losing at the line of scrimmage makes it into a pretty tricky thing. And I know a lot of people will think back to the Justin Jefferson play. I think it was on a third down a couple of games ago where he just absolutely roasted him at the line of scrimmage with, with the release. I mean, it was it was a thing of beauty, and like Justin Jefferson is probably the best receiver in the league at the moment. And I could probably take the word probably out of it. He's just he's just incredible. But it wasn't just against Jefferson. It was against guys like Donovan Peoples-Jones, DJ Chark. These are solid receivers. Don't get me wrong. Are they world beaters? No. And that leads you to a situation where if you are trying to blitz and get to insert quarterback here, Jared Goff, Mac Jones, Jacoby Brissett, Mike White. But yet you are giving up a yard to a half yard of separation right at the start because your cornerback is in man coverage and isn't isn't firing as quickly as he needs to be. Then that basically neuters the blitz. That quarterback can get the ball out quickly. At the very worst, it's batted down at the line of scrimmage or, or something like that. Like that that that's the the best possible result for the, the defense at that point when the when the quarterback sees a quick win and gets the ball out of his hand. But if you're bringing more people at the quarterback, there's going to be more room to operate for the receiver, which could lead to more explosive plays. And that's that's the issue here. So if the Bills are thinking about playing more man coverage, I do wonder how much more they can survive with, with Dane Jackson as their starter. I'm sure they're going to give it a shot because he has been the only guy this year that has played on basically 100% of snaps in games that he has been available to them at cornerback. But with Tredavious White starting to ramp back up, we'll see how much he plays. I think there's a chance he could do the old two series on, two series off thing uh, as early as this week. Then by the end of the season, I'm guessing their hope is that he gets to a a full-time player. Well, before the end of the season, really, but... Got to walk before you run, as Sean McDermott likes to say. So when you when you think about the other cornerback spot, they the Lions really didn't test Tredavious White all that much. They saw that Jackson struggled on film against the Browns, and they went after him pretty much all game. So how much leeway do they give Jackson is my biggest question. And one of the biggest questions I have for the rest of the season, 
Because if they, if let's say, for instance, Von Miller's done for the year and they have to shape their defensive identity around the notion that the best way that they're going to get pressure is in blitz opportunities. And the defensive tackles will also play a role. Like Ed Oliver has to step it up. Daquan Jones. I mean, both those guys have been great this season, especially since Ed Oliver has gotten fully healthy from his high ankle sprain early season and is finally able to show what he can do. I mean, just dominant stuff against the Lions last week. But they're also going to need Jordan Phillips and Tim Settle to step it up. But still, if your edge rushers are lacking a little bit, you need to influence uh, influence things back there. So I wonder if maybe this is a spot where Kair Elam comes in and shines. Elam has had his struggles in zone coverage. There's no doubt about that. But when he is out there in man coverage responsibilities, it is like taking a fish and putting it in water and watching it thrive and swim. Like that is who that guy is right now. I mean, that's not to say he can't become a better zone defender later on, but Elam, if they're going to go heavy into man coverage, Kair Elam, to me, makes the most sense to start opposite Tredavious White. And, of course, people go, well, of course, he's the first-round rookie. Of course he should be out there over Dean Jackson. But the road to get to this point has not been the road that people expected. Because pie-in-the-sky idea, Von Miller's out there. They're playing predominantly zone, only rushing forward the quarterback and being able to play great coverage on the back half. And zone is at this point right now, better suited to guys like Dane Jackson and uh, Christian Benford. But Elam, you put him one-on-one with the receivers that the Patriots have, I think he could do pretty well. So it remains to be seen. I'm sure we will see Kyrie Elam against the Patriots because I don't know that they're ready to put a full workload on, on uh, Tredavious White just yet. So we'll get to see a bit more of it and and get more of a sample size because the man opportunities that he's played in have been a bit limited. Even still, I think that is their best means to kind of plug the holes of the ship here a little bit and and get themselves to where they can blitz without thinking that they need to get there immediately to bail out what's on the back end. So keep your eyes on, on number 24. I think I think this could be a, a big week for them, for him specifically, if he or if they play a ton more man coverage. And I know Xavier Rhodes enters the conversation a little bit now that Christian Benford went on injured reserve, but I'm not putting Xavier Rhodes in, in man coverage. Not at this point in his career. That's not him. You know, a few years ago, maybe even three, four years ago, I think uh, he was one of the, the better cornerbacks in the league. But it just doesn't have the same movement ability anymore. I think he could be a strength in zone coverage, but therein lies the rub. The, the Bills might not be able to play as much zone coverage as they would prefer to. 
So big, big week, I think, for uh, for the cornerbacks, Dane Jackson, Kair Elam. I think this could be the week where we see things begin to shift a bit more in Kair Elam's favor. I mean, the, the runway is cleared with Christian Benford. He's on injured reserve for the next four games, which would give Elam the opportunity to take the role and run with it. So this might be this might be the you know I I hate to call it because it's a it's a rookie but this might be a week where Kyrie Elam breaks out a little bit and and makes an impact because I think I think this specific game plan could suit him best. All right, so that was a lot on the defense. Uh, we'll get into the offense a bit more in, in the prediction portion of of the show. Uh, but first, before we do that, we're going to check in with our guy at The Athletic, uh, Chad Graff, who uh, he covers the Patriots, does an absolutely great job, and uh, and will be bringing us, I'm sure, a lot of pearls of information about the about the Patriots and and how they how their season has kind of gone for them uh, to get to this point. It, I'm sure it's been a, a pretty interesting journey, considering they've been down and up and. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what that's all about. So Chad Graff coming up right after this. All right, we are now joined by our Patriots writer over at The Athletic. He does a great job covering them. It's his first season covering the uh, the Patriots, but he is a uh, New England guy through and through. His name is Chad Graff. And uh, Chad, thanks so much for joining the Buffalo Beat today and uh, giving us a little snippet of what this Patriots team is all about this year. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to seeing this uh, this rivalry up close. Yeah, it hasn't been much of a rivalry up until the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, we're, if we're being honest, uh, I, I, you know, I've been covering the Bills since 2010, and the Patriots just absolutely stomped them every single year. And it was like the biggest deal possible in Buffalo in 2011 when they beat them for the first time in like 10 years. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it's nice having a, a bit of a rivalry now between these two teams. Yeah, we'll see. It's you know, it it wouldn't shock me if it goes so one sided the other way, um, to the point where you know, obviously, I'm sure we'll get to it. But that playoff game a year ago left such a mark on the Patriots that they kind of revamped a ton of what they do specifically because of that game. And throughout the off season, Mac Jones hung a photo from that game with like all the Bills players celebrating in the background, wrote the score in red marker, and hung it up in his locker just to give you a sense of. Uh, how much the Patriots have been thinking about the Bills and thinking about that game. Wow, they have been harboring ill will for the last uh, however many months, 10 months. I mean, I, I mean, I was going to start elsewhere, but I feel like I'd be <laughs> burying the lead if, if I didn't start there. What, ha- what specifically have they done to try and um, uh, fix things, so to speak, to, to uh, go up against the Bills, which is a weird thing to say because the Bills have been playing up to the Patriots for years and years. Yeah, so they started in the offseason. Um, I guess it, the ball gets rolling with Robert Kraft at the owners' meetings coming out and making clear that uh, just making the playoffs will not be okay in New England, that he expects playoff wins, and that he also doesn't expect to rebuild. He just wants this to keep on rolling decade after decade after decade. Um, lofty expectations to be sure, but that kind of gets the ball rolling. And then in free agency in the draft, Bill Belichick was looking to add speed and perhaps even change some of the scheme on defense uh, just because he felt like the Patriots were way too slow, often a step behind the Bills. 
Um, couldn't move laterally, couldn't stop Josh Allen when he got out of the pocket and started running. Um, so now they're playing a ton with three safeties. They'll even put four safeties out there occasionally. Um, drafted some new cornerbacks who both will mix in and play a little bit. Uh, the linebacker group is faster. Matthew Judon, of course, is back doing his usual things. But it all started with the defense. And to Belichick's credit, those moves did work. They have a top five defense right now. The problem for them is that uh, perhaps because of how much time they allocated on the defense or just because they went from Josh McDaniels to Matt Patricia as offensive coordinator, and that uh, has led to predictable results. Now the <laughs> offense kind of stinks and is having some issues. Like the defense is top five. The offense ranks anywhere from 20 to 26 in basically every category. And you're just not going to win many games when that's what your offense looks like. I, you brought up Matt Patricia. I mean, just following from afar how they refuse to even acknowledge that an offensive coordinator might exist in New England for the entire <laughs> offseason was was really a treat to watch from uh, from my perspective. Outstanding. And I um, I came to this beat after covering the Minnesota Vikings for six years. And so we saw Patricia up close twice a year, uh, talked to tons of Lions writers and everybody in Detroit, all of our Lions writers, fans, media, people who work there. were all like, yeah, boy, we really needed a reset. That was a mistake. Patricia, <laughs> it just did not work on so many levels. And then to just have him welcomed back and not just welcomed back perhaps into, you know, his defensive role that he occupied um, through a couple of Super Bowls and, and really through some success with New England, but to have him switch over to the offense, the side of the ball that he hadn't coached in 15 years and you know, it wasn't like he just got thrown in to be the offensive line coach. He was thrown in to, you know, both be the offensive line coach and the play caller and try to help Mac Jones develop. Like he has, he has so much on his plate. This would have been a ton on Josh McDaniels' plate. And he'd been, you know, the offensive coordinator for over a decade. It's beyond a ton for a guy who's never been an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Wow. So, uh, so since, he has gotten into the seat, and since Mac Jones has come back from the injury, what has kind of stood out about Mac? Because he's he's the the central piece here because he has struggled the last couple of games. Well, really, the last three. I mean, since he only threw two passes in the in his first game against the Bills a year ago. Um, so, what what has stood out about Mac over the last several games where the Patriots have kind of gotten themselves back into the swing of things here? It feels like you could tell a bunch of different stories about Mac Jones and the Patriots just through the course of this season alone. So it starts out really, really poorly. Um, he thrown five interceptions in the first three games in Miami, took such a big hit that he needed x-rays on his back afterward. Two weeks later against Baltimore, he throws three interceptions, no touchdowns, and suffers a high ankle sprain in that game. Um, he pushes to come back. I want to play. I want to play. I want to play. But while he's gone, a rookie Bailey Zappi actually has some nice moments. Um, so Mac Jones finally pushes enough to play where he's only going to miss three games, comes back for Chicago, isn't very good. He's getting booed at home. This is the guy who's the first round pick, went to the Pro Bowl a year ago. New England fans thought that they had their franchise quarterback. And then October 24th, week seven, he makes his what's supposed to be triumphant return. And the fans are booing him as he comes off the field for his second possession with wow. those three and out. They're chanting Zappy. They want Bailey Zappy back in the game. Um, 
Bailey Zappi struggled and then, you know, it has turned over back to Mac Jones since then, but it's been a little bit better for Mac Jones. His last two games have definitely been better. Um, You know, you're talking like nine yards per attempt instead of five in some of the games he had previously played. Uh, So I think there's progress. I think my question is what I guess is, is the real Mac Jones? Is it the first six or so games that he played or is it the last two that have actually gone pretty well um i i will say i do feel for him a little bit in that as we talked about with matt patricia it can't be easy to go from josh mcdaniels where he knew exactly what he wanted to do how he wanted to do it he'd been in the position for a decade to matt patricia who was learning on the fly figuring it out on the fly um so maybe this is the start of something i think that's the optimistic take but uh I'm in kind of wait and see mode, and and obviously this Bills defense is very good. Yeah, uh, it, it, everything about Mac Jones and the entire quarterback room, it, ever since like the moment he was drafted, well, really since Brady uh, left, has just felt really hyperbolic like it's either he's the anointed one he's the greatest thing ever or like you said their fans are calling for his head and wanting Bailey Zappi in in the game it just it just doesn't seem like it seems like there's something a bit missing a little disjointed there and in all likelihood like it's probably going to end up somewhere in the middle and I know Mm -hmm. there's really no middle ground with him both how he's viewed with the fans and elsewhere but you know he's probably not going to be the perfect heir to Tom Brady. And he's also probably not a huge bust. We'll see. Um, But it just feels like uh, for a fan base that has gotten so accustomed to winning, they Mm -hmm. wanted him to be Tom Brady. And if he's not, then, you know, hey, how's how's the next (laughs) class look? Exactly. Yeah, Uh, that's that's interesting. Um, So the guys in front of him, I I noticed just watching a a bit of of Mac over the last few games um it seems like when he's got time back there he's he's really sharp but there it's been a bit of an adventure with the guys in front of him because uh Yadni Kajust I believe has has had some struggles on the right side and then uh you know he's got another rookie in Cole Strange and um so overall how has that offensive line been put together because it was such a strength a year ago and they've lost some pieces this year it was such a strength a year ago to the point where they kind of bring everybody back at a first round pick and you think, oh, they're going to have a great offensive line again. Trent Brown is really good. Well, he's been really bad the last three or four games. Wow. You have a first round guard. That should be fine. He hasn't been fine. Uh, David Andrews is good when he's healthy, but he's bounced in and out um, concussion and another injury. And so it looks like he will try to play through this, but mm-hmm. he's banged up. Um, and then at right tackle, you had Isaiah Wynn. He's been unhappy since the start, given his contract, hasn't played well. He gives up his spot to Yadni Kajust. That hasn't gone great either. So um, <laughs> it has not been a good offensive line, and it's gotten worse as the season's gone on. The Patriots used to be a good running team. First six games, they were, I think, the second or third best running team in the league, only behind the Browns and Ravens, which makes sense. The last four or five weeks, they've been the worst rushing team in the NFL um, per EPA per play. And the offensive line is a big part of that. And the other massive part of the offensive line struggles is, and I wish there was a better stat to quantify this. This is more of an eye test thing. Um, But Mac Jones is really good at the start of the game when he's trusting his offensive line. But once that offensive line starts to break down, 
he takes a couple of sacks or big hits, all of a sudden it, it just looks like he starts to get really antsy. If you want to go back and look mm-hmm. at it, last game against the Vikings, clean pocket, offensive line was doing well for three quarters. He was having an awesome game, his best game of the season. Um, and then the fourth quarter, the pressure starts to get after him a little bit, and all of a sudden he's throwing the ball away before he needs to. He's trying to scramble when he doesn't have to. Um, it just gets a lot shakier once the pressure does arrive because I think he – he saw how bad it has been at times. And he's like, boy, I, I can't trust these. As soon as they break a little bit, like, no, I can't trust this group. I got to do something different. And it just has not been a recipe for success. Yeah, got to be uh, tough, especially when he's not the most mobile of guys, too. Um, but, uh, I mean, he does have a guy that I, I, you know, it's from every quote I read from Bill Belichick about Ramondre Stevenson, I'm surprised he ever comes off the field. Um, so how important has he become to, you know, even though their running game hasn't been, hasn't been going, but it, it's, it's weird to think there's a true possible three down back in new England because it's forever. It's been, Hey, three or four running back committee. Uh, but this year, I mean, with Damian Harris being injured, obviously Ramondre has kind of honed in on, on that role, right? Yes, and even when Harris is healthy, Ramondre is still playing a bit more. And you're right, every week Belichick lavished a little more praise, a little more praise, a little more praise, (laughs) to the point where in this past game, he apparently told the television crew um, before that Thanksgiving game, he compared his work ethic and the way that he's improved to Tom Brady and Lawrence Taylor. Oh, my. Uh, So I'm not necessarily ready to say that he is in that company, uh, but he has been very, very good. He... You know, I think as you'll come to see uh, fans watching this team and thinking about them and and certainly in this Thursday night game, when the Patriots need a play specifically on third down, there's really one of two guys. They either go to Jacoby Myers, um, their kind of slot wide receiver, or Ramondre Stevenson on a screen or swing pass or run or whatever. Their entire offense right now is just those two players. Wow. Um, it's it's pretty tough to watch at times. Devontae Parker has had a couple of good games, but outside of that, the wide receiver group is not impressive. The rookie Tyquan Thornton hasn't done much. Nelson Aguilar hasn't done much. Kendrick Bourne has been benched. Um, the tight ends, I obviously spent so much money on tight ends, Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. They haven't done much. So uh, you want to stop the Patriots offense, stop number 38, Ramondre Stevenson, and, and number 16, Jacoby Myers. I, I mean, it's it's kind of wild considering the money. And I, I look at the snap percentages and Janu barely even played last game. Right. They, they lived in 11 personnel and he just didn't come into wow. the game. He hasn't played that well. They, you know, think back to a couple of years ago, that COVID offseason when everybody mm-hmm. thought is Belichick outsmarting everybody. He's the one spending all this money in free agency. By and large, those free agents haven't worked. Like Matthew mm-hmm. Judon has been a great free agency signing. The rest has been kind of middling performances, which, uh, you know, I think ownership has taken note of and and doesn't love the fact that they're spending a ton of money and not getting great results from it. Mm -hmm. And that's a great segue to Judon, because that's like the number one concern, I think, for the Bills this week, because they are likely, you know, he hasn't practiced yet this week. We haven't even seen him out near the practice field. Deion Dawkins, their starting left tackle. So it seems like he's going to be down, which puts David Quesenberry in the lineup, and Quesenberry is not good at all. Uh, And then on the right side, Spencer Brown had one of the worst games of any offensive lineman on the Bills this year, this past week. So, I mean, that 
really lends itself to Judon in this matchup and a focal point on the matchup. So I'm sure he's gotten a ton of attention this year from opposing teams with his pressure win rate. Um, and obviously the sack total leads leads the league. So when you look at what Judon has been able to do, despite all the attention, how has he been able to keep it afloat? Because I remember this time last year, he kind of went through this lull where you know he wasn't as effective. So how has he been able to avoid that this time around? So what the Patriots have done to try to avoid that is they've actually lowered his playing time, which is kind of counterintuitive to what you might expect for a player of his caliber. But he was playing about 80% of the snaps last year. He's down to around 74% of the snaps uh, this season. That was not the case last game. They bumped him all the way up to 87% of the defensive snaps. Um, so we'll see. You know, it's it's easy to say that you're going to try to rest a guy more until you're fighting for your playoff lives and, and need some of these big games. Um, but I think minimizing, uh, you know, his not minimizing his play time, but bringing it back, scaling it back a little bit is giving him a little bit extra life. And then also the fact that Dietrich Wise on the other side has been good, already has a career high in sacks. Uh, that has taken some of the pressure off and, and meant that, you know, if you're going to set aside extra guys to just block Matthew Judon, the Patriots now feel like they can get pressure in other ways, which has been a huge help for him. So um, we'll see if they're able to continue to uh, give Judon some spells and, and let him catch his breath. They did not do it against Minnesota. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they're able to do it against Buffalo. So I, I, I ask this this final question of uh, all our team writers that, that come on the pod. If the Patriots are to beat the Bills this week, what does it look like? It looks like an ugly, gross game. It, <laughs> it looks like some of the Thursday night games that have just been atrocious. Uh, it looks cold and windy and... Uh, the Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs connection isn't working as well. Jonathan Jones will probably be on Diggs a lot. Uh, the mm -hmm. Patriots do have a good secondary. You get into a little bit of a pump fest, which, you know, is probably ambitious considering the Bills haven't punted against the Patriots in the last two. Um, but it turns into a, a gross defensive struggle. Uh, you're obviously not going to limit Josh Allen for an entire game, but Mac Jones makes some plays and, Really, it's got to be the running game gets back to going for the Patriots. Ramondre Stevenson, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he touches the ball 27, 28 times in this wow. one as they try to grind out a gross, low-scoring game. Uh, you know, we'll see if it happens. I'm I'm skeptical. I, you know, I still think back to both Diggs's time in Minnesota, how good he was there. Um if you recall, I think the Bills came in week three to Minnesota in like 2018 as oh, 17 yeah. point underdogs. And I remember thinking like, this is going to be the biggest blowout ever. And then that was the game that Josh Allen hurdled uh, Anthony Barr, I think it was, and um, and kind of got cooking after that. So I, I have a hard time betting against the Bills right now. Uh, but if the Patriots are going to win, it's going to be a gross, ugly game. Yeah, it, you, the, the gross, ugly game Thursday part of it is interesting because these two teams, I, I haven't really seen it too many times. They, they get the rare Thursday to Thursday schedule. Like it's right. it's kind of wild. Like the Bills threw out their practice schedules like, OK, we're practicing on Sunday. I'm like, well, this is not normal. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, this having the Thursday to Thursday, maybe that gives both these teams enough time to get ready. But I, I don't know. Who knows? It should be it should it's be a bizarre. wild game. 
I don't yeah. know about you, but I've been thrown off all week of, you know, I think I told my wife like, oh yeah, on Friday we're doing this. And I've just had all my days mixed up from <laughs> just used to football games or Sundays. So then the day after that is Monday. I've, I've, I've been a mess. Yeah. Likewise, hilariously on uh, during the Sunday practice during Sean McDermott's press conference, when he was going through like, okay, these guys won't practice. I'm, I usually put the specific day uh, mm-hmm. that, that they're not practicing. So I'm like, yeah, AJ Epinesa, Deion Dawkins, Von Miller will not practice Wednesday. And people are like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yes, I'm with you there. So we are we are one in the same, my friend. Chad, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for uh, for jumping on and and for allowing me to take too much of your time. So uh, I appreciate it. The listeners appreciate it. And uh, thanks so much. Can't wait to see you in New England. Thanks for having me. And I'm sure we'll chat again uh, week 18. Uh, absolutely. So that's Chad Graff. Be sure to check out all his stuff over at The Athletic. Does a great job covering the Patriots. All right. Awesome stuff from uh, Chad Graff. If you don't, be sure to head over to Twitter. And follow him at Chad Graff, C-H-A-D-G-R-A-F-F. Uh, he does a great job, and 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 especially leading up to this game and in Week 18, uh, head over and read his stuff about the Patriots uh, at theathletic.com. All right, now it's now it's time to get into the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction prediction hour. The Bills and Patriots right now, as of Tuesday morning, with the line of the Bills favored by five points. The total is 43 and a half. So some interesting numbers there. Um, last week, the uh, I, th- I thought the Bills were going to cover. They did not. But the under hit, barely the under hit uh, with only, what was it? 53 points. And the, the total was 54 and a half. So at least we got that one right. And, you know, the fact that the Bills won. All right, so for this game, it's it's really it's really an interesting matchup to me, and and I don't have strong feelings one way or the other in terms of how a specific matchup can take this uh, this game and and allow the one one of these teams to run with it. I think one of the most uh, the damning matchups of of the game is Matt Judon up against Spencer Brown. I think Judon's, and it's not necessarily a surprise, Judon's overall skill set, I think, can just absolutely give Spencer Brown a ton of trouble. So they need, and Judon mostly lines up on Spencer Brown's side. Uh, To this point, uh, Judon has been on the left side 73% of the season. They do mix him in on the right side a bit, you know, a couple of games ago, it was, I think, 19 snaps on the left side compared to 18 snaps on the right side. But mostly they have leaned towards him being on the left, probably because that's where he's at his most comfortable. So I, I really like that matchup for, for them. And even when he's on the right side working against David Quesenberry, that's that's going to be a difficult um, proposition for him. But Quesenberry... Also, we'll have to deal with Dietrich Wise, who, as we just heard from Chad, is having a really nice season in, by his own accord. So being able to figure out how the, those offensive tackles are going to stop, because you can, you can really only give so much help. Maybe it's a overall dependence on Mitch Morse to take one of those 
interior rushers by himself. Maybe you're trusting Morse to give help to either one of Saffold or Ryan Bates, whoever needs it more on a given rep. And then, or maybe it's Morse having a guy, Bates having someone, getting help on one side from like a tight end or a running back chip on one of the edge guys, and then having the opposite guard uh, help out the offensive tackle. That and That's only for a four-man rush. I mean, the Patriots, their overall blitz percentages this season, let me see if I can get this on the fly. I don't recall it being like a crazy amount, but... Uh, but I'll get those statistics for you. Like it's it's no seventy three percent, which is what we talked about the Bills having against the Lions in the fourth quarter um, last week. But it's certainly a bit higher than than what the uh, than what the Bills had done before the Lions game. Let's see overall blitz percentages. It's uh, I'll, I'll get that for you in a bit, but. When they're working against a four-man rush, which is what they'll probably be doing more often than not, they're going to need some some plan back there. So that's the, that's the biggest weakness from a Bills perspective. I think all in all, I just wonder about the Patriots having the overall, I guess, speed and playmaking ability to be able to fully challenge the Bills and force them into a spot where they need to score a ton of points. That's that's the kind of the biggest issue because you look at their you know, their uh, satchel of receivers. Satchel, shout out to our guy Tim Graham. Um, Devontae Parker, not really an explosive guy. Jacoby Myers, g- really good underneath, not really an explosive guy. Tyquan Thornton, their, their rookie who started, finger quote started, um, hasn't really made a huge impact. Lots of potential on him. Nelson Aguilar, another guy who can make a play in the intermediate area, but not really game-breaking type. Thornton would be the game-breaker. Like I could absolutely see him having one play where it's like, whoa, where'd that guy come from? And just zooms down for a huge gain. But other than him, you know, it's it's going to be tough uh, for, for them to be able to have these explosive game, explosive plays through the air. So I think all in all, the guy that they're going to have to focus on stopping above all else is uh, is Ramondre Stevenson. He has been a revelation for them this year, completely has taken over the backfield. He's out there constantly. He's an excellent pass blocker. You heard Chad say that Belichick has... Uh, likened Stevenson's work ethic to Lawrence Taylor and Tom Brady, which is a bit ridiculous if we're being honest. But, um, hey, Bill loves the guy. He's taken it to a a different frontier every every time uh, he talks about Stevenson. But he's an excellent pass catcher. He's in a huge package where he's like 230, 235 pounds. He can sidestep you and make you miss. He can bowl you over. Like that's going to be the guy that they that they focus on, and I could absolutely see Mac Jones just depending on him, down in, down out, when the Bills are throwing a blitz on him, and chuck it out to the line of scrimmage, and and then 
uh, to the flat or something like that for Ramondre Stevenson. And then Poyer, Hamlin, Taron Johnson are forced to make a tackle on this big package. So yeah, that uh, that one. He's he's the main guy that, uh, if from a Bills perspective, I think they should be concerned about. Regardless, I do like the uh, the Bills matchup in a, in a lot of different capacities. I think they'll be able to have success in making Mac Jones wilt in the pocket a little bit and become untrustworthy of that offensive line in front of him. I'm expecting not maybe 73% blitzing, but I'm expecting a, a healthy amount of blitzing without Von Miller available. And the interior presence, I think uh, Ed Oliver or Daquan Jones or Jordan Phillips or Tim Settle working against the left guard Cole Strange, I think that's, a, that's an opportunity for success for them. You know, the the other two guys in there, which will be David Andrews, the center, and Michael Onwenu at right guard. Onwenu has been great this year from a pressure allowed perspective, only allowing pressures on 1.6% of his uh, of his pass blocking snaps. So he's been a strength for them. But I think Cole Strange is the one to attack here. That The rookie, first rounder, left guard. So there will be some opportunities to get in the backfield. But all in all, I do like the Bills to be able to stop the Patriots enough and then conversely to be able to move the ball down the field enough against a a speedier and better Patriots defense than what we we saw last year. And I, I, I just... I can't sit here and predict an offensive explosion like we saw the last couple of times that they played against the Patriots. They have changed some things up, become a lot more sound on that side of the ball. You know, 33 points against the Vikings notwithstanding. But I do think that the Bills can get to that. Oh, by the way, that Vikings game, seven of those points were on a kickoff return for a touchdown. So I do feel like the Bills can get to that 24 to 28 point range against this Patriots team. I don't think they're that crazy great to where they will absolutely thwart what what the uh, Bills are trying to do. But I also think they're going to put a stopper on a few drives and it's going to frustrate some people. So all in all, I'm going to take the Bills to win this one because I do think they're the better team despite some of the stuff happening to them right now, whether it be lulls on offense, which I felt better about for for them after watching the film. I think there was just some individual errors, not all to do with Josh Allen's elbow. And I feel like the defense will be able to simulate enough or generate enough pressure on Mac Jones to make him a little bit nervous and force him into a mistake or two. So I'm going to take the Bills in this one. I think it's going to be a close game. That five-point line is bait to me. So I'm going to take the Bills to win. I'm going to take the Patriots to cover. And I'm going to take the over, but barely. So I've got the Bills winning this one 24-20, which hits the over because the over-under is at 43.5. And the Bills are currently five-point favorites. 
but I'm going to take the Patriots to keep it close. Maybe it's not like crazy close up until the end where it makes the Bills sweat a little bit. I could definitely see this game being like 24-13 and then the Patriots hitting a late touchdown to bring it closer, something along those lines. Even still, I've got the Bills to win this game and to come out with a 9-3 record and go into a, another big game against the Jets the, the following week to try and... And this is a great opportunity for the Bills, not to mention, to take hold of the AFC East again because the Dolphins are up against the 49ers and it seems like the 49ers are talking a lot of trash this week. <laughs> so there seems like they're loose. It seems like they're starting to get a little bit... Uh, they're starting to get in the flow of things after an uneven start. 49ers are a dangerous team right now um, over in the NFC. And the Dolphins have to go up against that. So we'll see if they can kind of stop what the Dolphins have been doing offensively. And, you know, if they give the Dolphins a loss and the Bills win, the Bills are back in the, uh, the catbird seed of the AFC East. And would only be a Chiefs loss away. Let's see who are the Chiefs playing? I can't remember. The Chiefs are up against let's see. The Bengals. So if the Chiefs lose to the Bengals, Dolphins lose at the Niners, Bills beat the Patriots, the Bills are the top seed in the AFC again. After all this, <laughs> the Bills would be the top seed in the AFC again. Or AFC again. So we'll see. Um gonna be a a very Fun game, I think. Might be a slog, but, uh, you know, I think it's going to be another nice little installment of this Bills-Patriots budding rivalry that, that has happened the last few years. All right, so that's going to do it for me. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this uh, preview episode. I will be back with you after the Thursday night game. I will be probably recording it in the wee hours of Friday and trying to uh, get it done in time so that way I could get over to, to the airport and, uh, <laughs> and and fly back to Buffalo. Regardless, it might be a little loopy, but those are some of the best episodes, right? Anyway, so thanks everyone for listening. Uh, the Bills will take on the Patriots on Thursday, and that's when we will talk to you next. My name is Joe Pascalia, and we will uh, talk to you next time. See you then.